Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Live with Doug. We are thinking through God's word together. Glad that you are with us. Buenos dias, Dale. <laughs> Did I mention to you all that I'm studying Spanish with my uh, daughter? Is that why you say that? Good morning, Keith. Good morning to the rest of you. So we are, uh, we're narrowing in on the end of uh, uh, Isaiah. Dale is skeptical that we're going to be able to do this. Uh, I said this week and he doubts whether we can do that. And that's... Uh, <laughs> That's not an unreasonable uh, uh, contradiction, but we're going to try. Um, and I realize, you know, this could easily shift into a full-on eschatology study. And I don't want to do that because that would require us to dive into so many passages, so many verses throughout the New Testament and even more in the Old. And I'm I'm still working through it myself. So I don't know, maybe we'll work through it together live at some point, but I do have some other studies I want to get to. But, uh, so here's kind of what I'm thinking. Let's, uh, let's press on through the text. I saw a few great comments from yesterday, uh, ideas about what the new heavens and new earth might be and so on. Uh, I'm going to press on through today and probably into tomorrow and see if we can just kind of work our way through the text. And then that would give us uh, Thursday and Friday to kind of go back and entertain uh, some of those thoughts. So that's that's kind of what my plan is to, to move on. As we get started here, it seems to me like it is a good time to uh, to refer again to what Peter said about the prophets. Just to, just to remind us that this is not going to be clear to us simply from Isaiah. Let me, let me show you. First Peter, Peter says this, As to this salvation uh, that, that Christ brought, the prophets, that would include Isaiah, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, speaking to Peter's audience, the prophets made careful searches and inquiries seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he, the Spirit, predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories to follow. See that? So even the prophets of old, they predicted what they were given, and then they searched to try to figure out what was the spirit of the Messiah, the one who's coming. They recognized the spirit of the Messiah was the one giving them this, this, these visions. And now they're trying to figure out what is what did we just say? What did we just write down about the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories to follow? Well, we're now in Isaiah 65, 66, looking a lot at the glories to follow. The sufferings of Christ were certainly in 53, Isaiah 53. And now we're trying to figure out, just as they were, what was the Spirit revealing? Uh, he says, It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in things which have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So the angels as well, we're peering into all of this, trying to figure out what it means. So uh, what that tells us is, among many things, what the Old Testament prophets wrote, what Isaiah saw and wrote are not, um, 
They're not completely clear. It's not obvious. It wasn't obvious to Isaiah what he was writing. And even though we now know it all culminates in Jesus and he's the fulfillment, uh, we should expect to have an incomplete picture from just looking at the prophets. Does that make sense? You tracking with me? Uh, so it's great. I, I'm intentionally trying to provoke questions, uh, challenge assumptions, and get us to, to wrestle outside of our normal paradigm because we so easily get locked into a view that may or may not comport with the text itself. So I'm doing that on purpose, but I also want to say, as I said yesterday, we can't understand this, any of this in Isaiah, without bringing Jesus and what he revealed in the New Testament through his apostles to be the interpretive grid for these things. So we're going to raise questions here in the rest of Isaiah that we won't be able to answer from Isaiah. It's going to take New Testament study to get there. And we're not, that's not what we're going to do in this series of studies. But hopefully I'm preparing you to do your own study and, uh, and get there. Good morning, Jay. Glad you could join us as well. All right, so let's get back to the text. So uh, yesterday we looked at this a little bit. The former troubles are forgotten. They are hidden from God's sight. And those former troubles are God's judgment on the, uh, the wicked Jews, the idolatrous Jews, sinful Jews. He says the reason they're forgotten, the reason they are hidden, those formal, former troubles are hidden from his sight, God says, is because, behold, I create new heavens and new earth. And the former things, those judgments against the, the wicked, uh, will not be remembered or come to mind. So in this new heavens and new earth, God's not going to remember uh, what he did in the past against uh, the Jews. So we talked about this. We talked about uh, something along here is metaphorical. Maybe it's all metaphorical. That's a possibility. Be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem for rejoicing and her people for gladness. So this new heavens, new earth, new Jerusalem is going to be a place of rejoicing and gladness. I will also rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. So Jerusalem's going to rejoice and God is going to rejoice and he's going to rejoice in the city and in his people. And there will no longer be heard in her the voice of weeping and the sound of crying. That all sounds great. That all sounds like the next age. Uh, sounds like Revelation's uh, description of the New Jerusalem. But then, unlike Revelation, which says there's no death, verse 20 says, No longer will there be an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his days, for the youth will die at the age of 100, the one who does not reach the age of 100 will be thought accursed. And we looked at that yesterday, so uh, I won't go on other than just summarize. This is why I say something's metaphorical. Maybe it's all metaphorical. But if it's the new heavens and new earth, as in the, the golden age, the, the glorified state, I should say, uh, then why are people dying? Even if they live a long, long time, why are they dying? Dale says, it seems to me that the shadows of the Old Testament reveal the character of God as much as his promises 
when we see the better and true fulfillment, we can see it is very much in line with uh, who God is. So is that is your point here that these statements maybe are not giving us um, an actual picture as much as revealing something about God? Is that, is that kind of what you're getting at there, Dale? Uh, Jim Vision says, I've read a few times where it seems heaven and earth represented the children of Israel and the temple, even Isaiah 1-2, so new heaven, new earth could be us now. Yeah, someone else mentioned that as well yesterday in, in a comment in the, in the video after the fact. Um, that's possible. The connection, one connection at least, is when in Deuteronomy and in uh, Isaiah 1-2, as you quote here, he calls heaven and earth to witness. And the idea kind of being heaven and earth um, summarizes, describes the, the, because of their association with the covenant made with Israel, that if he's going to make a new covenant, the old heaven and earth that were called to witness to Israel are going to be replaced with the new covenant people. It's possible, and you might even tie in in uh, Matthew 5 when Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away, and he talks about the law being fulfilled and all that. Yeah, it's possible. All these are possible. It's, uh, but the, the difficulty is, and the thing that we always have to come back to is, we can come up with a, a hundred or a thousand theories what sticks closest to the text? That's what I'm going to keep pushing us uh, back to. So let's go on uh, through that text a little bit more. He's describing what's going to be like in this new heavens and new earth here. Uh, they will build houses and inhabit them. They will also plant vineyards and eat their fruit. If you know the, uh, the, the curses of the old covenant, Deuteronomy 28, uh, then you know that the judgment that uh, God promised to Israel was that they would build houses, but somebody else would inhabit them. And they would plant vineyards, but foreign nations would eat the fruit because the Jews would either be slaughtered or taken as slaves and not enjoy the fruit of their labor. Here in the new heavens and new earth, they're not under judgment. They're not under the curse. And they are going to enjoy the fruit of their labor. He goes on the same kind of thing. They will not build and another inhabit. They will not plant and another eat. For as the lifetime of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will wear out the work of their hands. So this would all be a contradiction to the curses of the covenant. Maybe contradiction is not quite the right word, but it's, it's a contrast. Uh, these people are not under the curse of God's covenant. In fact, he goes on with one more. They will not labor in vain or bear, bear children for calamity, for they are the offspring of those blessed by the Lord and their descendants with them. Uh, same, same idea uh, in the covenant the curses of the old covenant, uh, their children 
would either be slaughtered or carried off into slavery, or in some cases, uh, the Jews themselves would consume their children because they were starving so desperately because of the siege of the uh, the foreign land, foreign nation coming upon them and laying siege to the city. Uh, in contrast to that, uh, these children are not going to bear calamity. They're not going to labor in vain. Uh, they're going to be blessed by the Lord. Which maybe for uh, Jim Vision there, something like this does add to the argument that this is a new covenant vision in contrast to the old covenant. We're in the new covenant, new heavens and new earth. It's blessing. It's, uh, it's, it's uh, all the curse has been removed. It's enjoying God's favor and forgiveness and that kind of thing. He goes on. It will also come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. Uh, God's wrath at Israel when uh, for their wickedness and idolatry was, uh, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm not going to hear you. He said that earlier in Isaiah. But in this new heavens and new earth, new Jerusalem, God says, even before they call, I will answer. And they're in the midst of their request, and I will hear it and do something about it. Which is very interesting if that is in any sense now for us. Hmm. Then he says this, which is also very interesting. The wolf and the lamb will graze together. That seems like an odd picture, doesn't it? Uh Right now, if you're a lamb, you don't want to be around the wolves because the wolf is not going to graze together with you. Uh, The wolf would like to graze on you. (laughs) But this vision includes uh, these formerly hostile animals eating straw together, eating grass together instead of each other. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. So, again, um, so Sherry says, Old Covenant, New Covenant. Okay, so if that's the case, then this is metaphorical, huh? Uh, if, if the whole vision here is uh, Old Covenant, New Covenant, and the new heavens and new earth are attached to the New Covenant, if this is not looking forward to a... Um, a glorified state where animals or, or even a, 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 a post-millennial state uh, where animals are vegetarians and not eating one another, then who's the wolf and the lamb? Who are these enemies, formerly enemies, where one was the predator and the other the prey? Uh, it, asks the, it, had, it raises the question, right? Who, who, are, who are these who are formerly hostile to one another that are now getting along? And dust will be the, the serpent's food. Um, it is interesting to, to think that this is describing people because all of this is kind of Garden of Eden imagery uh, that seems to deal with animal life and nature. Uh, that, that there's peace again. There's no more hostility 
among the uh, the creatures and even the dust being the serpent's food uh, instead of the serpent uh, biting us. Uh, I mean, I guess serpents don't eat humans. They might bite us. Uh, you think of the uh, the curse uh, upon the serpent on your on your belly you will go. Um, you will eat dust. You'll be hostile to the seed of the woman. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? That dust will be the serpent's food because dust is already the serpent's food, right? Let's uh, Genesis 3, verse 14, right? The Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, because you have deceived the woman and led led her into uh, sin, cursed are you more than all cattle, more than every beast of the field, on your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. So part of the curse for the serpent is being forced on its belly eating dust. And here, in the new heavens and new earth, the serpent is eating dust. Hmm. So I want to make the case that this is a the curse of creation lifted, but that seems to be a statement of the curse, unless the serpent here refers to Satan, and it's alluding to something about him being crushed. <laughs> oh, the questions. Uh, they will do no evil or harm in all my holy mountain. So the vision here in God's holy mountain, Zion, uh, the wolf and the lamb are grazing together. They're not eating each other. The lion's not eating other animals, eating straw. The serpent is eating dust and no one is doing evil or harm. So this is in some sense, a paradise, peaceful, joy producing, gladness producing uh, setting. Let me catch up on a couple of your comments here. Uh, Dale says, oh, let me back up. He said, I was being more general, but it certainly could be typological conceptual reading here. I think of how Jesus rebuked people for not knowing and understanding in light of his actual presence. Yep, that's a good thought. The expectation seems to have been that we realize the form fills out the silhouette, not necessarily that we understand in advance. I try to work th through these things myself and appreciate your takes. Well, I appreciate your appreciation. I'm... Just asking lots of questions, uh, maybe. Uh, Jay says he's making all things new. Agreed. Uh, not sure if this would be reading into it, but the nations were enemies, made hostile with dividing wall of the law. True. It could be. Could be what he's getting at is a uh, uh, Jews and Gentiles, that Ephesians 2 kind of thing, where they were formerly uh, enemies, but he's broken down that barrier. Maybe. Maybe. Um at least in the vision here, in the, in, the, in the context, there's a new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem. There's gladness. Uh, the curse has been lifted. That's, that's what I keep seeing is these, these Jewish, these, these old covenant curses are not applying and instead blessing. Uh, the children are going to live long and... The curses, even going back to Genesis, are lifted. This is why, this is why it's easy to think about the, uh, you know, the the next age, the uh, what we typically think of as resurrection state or whatever, is because it seems 
cosmologically here, these things are lifted. And yet, um, there still are people dying. That's, uh, I keep reading people saying, you know, this is, uh, this is metaphorical using these wonderful descriptions of long life, hundreds of years, at least 100, uh, to describe heaven uh, on earth or a new earth or whatever. Like, yeah, well, why does he choose death to illustrate not dying? That, that's hard. All right, I'm going to go a little bit further in the text and then we'll wrap it up here for today. Uh, Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. That's interesting. In other places, it's the, uh, the enemies who are the footstool or the ark of the covenants, the footstool. I think this is the only place where the earth itself God says is my footstool. So he's, he's immense, right? Heaven is my throne. Uh, that's how big I am that the, all that we think of as heaven, that's just the place I sit and I rest my feet on the earth. Where then is the house you could build for me and where is a place that I may rest? Uh, you should have allusions here of the temple when Solomon builds it and even Solomon acknowledges you can't be contained in this structure I just made, this, this building, this, this great um, temple. You, you can't be constrained here. You made the heavens and the earth. The, the whole world can't contain you. Uh, and God agrees. That's exactly right. So, so we have this, uh, uh, this temple imagery here. For my hands made all these things, thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But to this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. So heaven and earth is included here, which is interesting in light of the new heavens and new earth. Um, Where can I rest? I made everything, but I'm looking for humble people. I'm looking for those with, uh, with contrition of spirit and they tremble at my word. They take my word seriously. So as he enters into this, what we call the last chapter here of Isaiah, he's coming back to uh, looking for humble, repentant, obedient people. In contrast, he who kills an ox is like one who slays a man. What's the point of the simile? These people don't see any difference between killing an ox and slaying a man. He who sacrifices a lamb is one who breaks a dog's neck. Uh, dogs were used in some of the pagan religions for their sacrifices. So the people here in verse 3, they don't see any difference between offering a lamb as God required and wringing a dog's neck like the pagans do. They, they've lost their idolaters, what they are. They've, they're syncretists. They've, they've mixed together God's commands and false religion. He who offers grain offering is like one who offers swine's blood. Again, the, these are Jews he's describing, and they don't have any problem offering pork, which was detestable to God in the Old Covenant. He who burns incense is like one who dr- blesses an idol. Uh, so again, as we've seen over and over again in Isaiah, uh, God calling um, calling Israel on their idolatry and their faithlessness to the covenant as they have chosen their own ways and their soul delights in their abominations so i will choose their punishments and bring on them what they dread because i called but no one answered i spoke but they did not listen they did evil in my sight and chose that in which i did not delight 
So he comes back. He's not just giving us an end times view. He's coming back to his original audience and exposing their idolatry. And then he turns to uh, to the faithful. Hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word. Remember, he, he just said, that's what I'm looking for, people who tremble at my word. Well, hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word. Your brothers who hate you, that would be Jews who hate Jews who are trying to please the Lord, who exclude you for my name's sake, having said, let the Lord be glorified so that we may see your joy. They're, they're mocking them. Go ahead. Let Yahweh glorify himself or be glorified. We want to we wanna see how much joy you have. Complete mockery here. God says they will be put to shame. So immediately in light of all this uh, discussion about uh, the new heavens, new earth, and so on, he comes back to this distinction uh, between uh, God's faithful and the faithless. Uh, Jay says, remember, I, my father's house are many kingdoms. It's true. It's true. Um, all right. Well, we're going to call it a day there. Uh, we're going to continue on tomorrow. I think we can finish up the text tomorrow. And then we'll spend a couple days uh, talking through some more of the implications of this. And I appreciate your comments. Feel free to put them in the uh, after the video, like I said. And uh, uh, we'll... We'll wrestle through this together. Uh, Sherry, it's interesting. You brought up in your comment about preterism. We'll, we'll talk about that Thursday and Friday. Um, I've been down that road, and uh, uh, I don't think it worked, at least not full preterism uh, for a variety of things. We'll come back and talk about that. All right, have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow, Lord willing.